I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are on episode 22 of the podcast. You guys have been such a great audience and viewers. Uh, well, actually, I guess listeners in this case for listening to this podcast on a Thursday nonetheless. And uh, you know what? It's been interesting. We've had some ups and downs this week, especially with the basketball world and Kobe Bryant. Um, but we can kind of look forward and and see how, you know what, how we can make life a little bit easier for one another. So we are going to go into episode 22 right now. Uh, some of the news stories that we're going to talk about. Uh, U.S. authorities today uh, discovered one of the longest smuggling tunnels southwest of the border from uh, the Mexican-U.S. border. So interesting that they found this, and we're going to look into what does this entail. Um our second piece of news is a French uh, a, appeals court on, uh, today acquitted Cardinal Philippe Barberin on charges of covering up sexual abuse of minors. So we're going to see how that has gone up and what the kind of uh, backlash we're hearing in that front in terms of uh, the Catholic Church. And for our third piece of news, uh, White House Senior Advisor Jared Kushner uh, he wants to talk to, about Israel a little bit more. Um, he has made this plan, this peace plan for the West Bank that kind of involves uh, Palestine and Israel kind of coming to some sort of agreement. Obviously, Palestine did not take it to, uh, as well as he thought they would. And so, uh, unfortunately, his plan did not succeed. So, with that, guys... Let's start our podcast. I'm Kevin, and you're listening to A Mention with Kevin. All right, starting with our first story today. So U.S. authorities... Uh, announced the discovery of the longest smuggling tunnel ever found on the southwest border, stretching more than 1.2 kilometers from an industrial site in Tijuana, Mexico, to the San Diego area. U.S. Customs and Border, border Protection said it featured an extensive rail cart system, forced air ventilation, high-voltage electrical cables and panels, an elevator at the tunnel entrance, and a complex drainage system. This one blows past the second longest, said Lance Lenoir, a Border Patrol operations supervisor. We never really thought they had the moxie to go that far. I love it that he used the word moxie. They continue to surprise me. The tunnel raised questions about effectiveness of Donald Trump's border wall, which stretches several meters, uh, several meters underground in the area. The tunnel was found about 21 meters underground, well below the wall. Following the discovery in August, Mexican law enforcement identified the entrance and members of the San Diego Tunnel Task Force began mapping the tunnel that extends more than 1.2 kilometers. The next longest tunnel in the U.S. was discovered in San Diego in 2014. It was 904 meters long. The newly discovered tunnel is about 1.68 meters tall and 61 meters wide, officials said. Agents discovered several hundreds of sandbags blocking a suspect, suspected former exit of the tunnel in the Ote Mesa warehouse district within the U.S. While there were no arrests, drug seizures, or confirmed exit point in the United States, 
the length more than 14 American football fields stunned authorities. It went under several warehouses in the Ote Mesa area, where sophisticated tunnels have typically ended and extended into open fields. U.S. authorities say they are confident that the tunnel exited in San Diego at one time based on its trajectory. Lenoir, a veteran on a multi-agency task force of tunnel investigators known as Tunnel Rats, said he had made his way through about 15 meters of sugar sacks blocking the tunnel but couldn't go any further. An incomplete offshoot of the tunnel that extended more than a kilometer suggested to authorities that smugglers had plunged an initial exit point and were building another. The suspected previous exit became unsustainable for whatever reason, so they built a spur, Border Patrol spokesperson Jeff Stevenson said. By federal law, U.S. authorities must fill the U.S. side of the tunnel with concrete after they discovered. The sophistication and length of this particular tunnel demonstrate the time-consuming efforts transnational criminal organizations will undertake to facilitate cross-border smuggling, said Cardinal T. Morant, acting special agent in charge of Homeland Security investigations in San Diego. Authorities have found 15 sophisticated tunnels on California's border with Mexico since 2006, with hallmarks including lighting, ventilation, railway tracks, and hydraulic lifts. The tunnels are concentrated in a way where clay-like soil is uh, conducive to digging and industrial warehouse provide cover. The latest tunnel was discovered by Mexican authorities in Tijuana in a Tijuana parking lot for a cargo trucks next to the city's airport. Uh, sorry if you guys hear me laughing. I'm just thinking that this is hilarious as this kind of reminds me of Minecraft where people kind of get a little bit more sophisticated and complex with their tunnel designs. They want to add in little elevators, lay down railway tracks, put ventilation and sufficient lighting in there. Like I think it gets a little too complex and a little too i don't know they pay attention to some great detail i guess that really isn't needed if you have a tunnel i'm i guess it would be nice to have light but you could bring a light like a flashlight with you um and ventilation is important i could see that one but things like hydraulic lifts uh really i don't see that have a ladder or something else um u.s authorities mapped its course drilled a hole on the u.s side and lowered a camera to determine where to start making their way through it was endless, Lenoir said. Authorities didn't say they believe uh, believe what was behind the tunnel, but the area has been a stronghold of Mexico's Sinaloa cartel. The cartel's longtime leader, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, was sentenced to life in prison, in the U.S. prison, in July. So I was kind of surprised to kind of see, like, they kind of threw it in there. Um, we don't know if it was Sinaloa, if it was that cartel or another cartel, but of course they want to talk about Le Chapo and the big um, extradition and capturing him. Um, I don't think he was extradited, sorry. I think he was captured in the United States, uh, but being sentenced to the United States and being uh, sentenced for a lifetime here. Yeah, so I, I just found that interesting that they added that into the story. It really didn't need to be added in the story, but I guess the Americans wanted to kind of boost themselves up a little bit. Uh, but with that, let's move on to our second story. A French appeals court on today, Thursday, acquitted Cardinal Philippe Barberin on charges of covering up the sexual abuse of minors in his flock. Barberin said he had a will ask the Pope to allow him to resign, 
repeating a request that he was refused earlier by Pope Francis, who wanted to wait to await the outcome of the appeals trial. Thursday's court decision allows me to turn a page and for the Church of Lyon to open a new chapter, Barbarin said in a brief news conference. He said he would go to Rome to renew my request. Initially, the appeals court in the southern eastern French city of Lyon gave no explanation while pronouncing its decision to wipe the legal slate clean for Barbarin. The court, however, later released a 38-page document which with the reasoning behind its decision and said it found no intentional element showing a cover-up. Barberin, Archbishop of Lyon, has been convicted in March and given a six-month suspended sentence for failing to report a predator priest to police. The prosecutor's office had sought the acquitted accordance of the court as it did in the initial trial. This decision is logical. One of Barberin's lawyers, Jean-Félix Luciani, said outside the courtroom. He said the cardinal had faced down public rumor and calumny. Barberin, 69, said that at an appeals trial in November that he filed an appeal because I cannot see clearly what I'm guilty of. The verdict comes at a time of increasing scrutiny around the world of the Catholic Church's role in hiding abuse by its clergy. The court has ruled that in wanting to avoid scandal, caused by the facts of multiple sexual abuses committed by a priest, Barberin preferred to take the risk of preventing the discovery of many victims of sexual abuse by the justice system and to prohibit the expression of their pain. Bernard Prenat, uh, the now defrocked priest at the center of the scandal, described to a court at his earlier, uh, earlier this month how he systematically abused boys over two decades as a French scout chaplain. Prenat said that his superiors knew about his abnormal behavior as far back as 1970. Oof, that is disgusting. Had the church sidelined me earlier, I would have stopped earlier, Prenat said. I don't think that's, man, I don't think that is a good excuse or a reason that you can claim uh, why you act in the way that you did. Now 74, Prenat faces up to 10 years in prison in what is France's biggest clergy sex abuse trial to date. He's suspected of abusing around 75 boys, but his testimony suggests the overall number could be even higher. The verdict is expected in March. The case against Barberin hinges on a 2014 discussion with the victim Alexandre Hezes, who told the, char uh, the cardinal about the sexual abuse he had suffered in the 1980s by Prenat during scout camps. Hezez felt the priest should no longer lead a parish. Babrin told the appeal hearing that he followed Vatican instructions after the discussion with Hezez. He suggested that he could not have done more. At the trial of Prenat, uh, victims testified how much power the priest had held over them and the lifetime damage that it his abuse cause. I saw his this community that admired this man, and I was his protege, his pet, said victim Francois Debo, who called uh, today's ruling a disappointment. So this is really, it's, it's saddening, it's disheartening to kind of see this kind of slide by and kind of the disgusting excuses that are given by this uh, chaplain for acting the way that he did. I honestly think that he, for all the, there was recorded 75 victims that had come forward i think that he should serve 75 years i don't think i think he should have a life sentence that he should not be allowed 
to be freely let out. He, he needs to be supervised constantly now because of his predatory nature. Um, regardless if he's old or not, I feel like justice to hold him in a prison for that long is, is real justice. He shouldn't have the luxury of freedom because he broke, he essentially broke people's mentalities and they are struggling with that in their own form of prison almost. Uh, a mental prison, I would say. So uh, it's a sad to see this and um, I, I will just keep you guys informed if anything else comes up on this matter. Our third piece of news White House senior advisor Jared Kushner said Washington wants Israel to wait until after its March 2nd election before making any moves towards settlement annexation in the West Bank following the announcement of a U.S. peace plan. Kushner, an architect of the peace proposal hailed by Israel and rejected by Palestine, Palestinians, raised this stop sign in a, in a video interview posted online today with GZERO Media a subsidiary of political risk analysis firm Eurasia Group. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told reporters on Tuesday after Donald, President Donald Trump announced the U.S. plan that he would ask his cabinet next week to approve applying Israel law to Jewish settlements in the Western Bank, the West Bank. Such a move would be the first step towards formal annexation of the settlements along with the Jordan Valley and the West Bank. Territory Israel has kept under military occupation since the capture in the 1967 Middle East War, and which Palestine seeks for a future state. Most countries consider Israel's settlement on land captu captured in war to be a violation of international law. Trump has changed U.S. policies to withdraw such objections. Well, let's see what happens, Kushner said, who is Trump's son-in-law. When asked about the possibility, Israel would begin an annexation process as early as this weekend. The hope is that they'll wait until after the election and will work with them to try to come up with something. On Wednesday, Israel's hawkish defense minister, Naftali Bennett, called for the government to establish sovereignty over nearly a third of the West Bank. Trump's plan envisioned envisages a two-state solution with Israel and a future Palestinian state living alongside each other, but with strict conditions that Palestine reject. The blueprint gives Israel much of what it long sought, including U.S. recognition of its Western Bank settlements and Israel's sovereignty over the Jordan Valley. A redraw, demilitarized Palestine, Palestinian state, will be subject to Israeli control over its security, while receiving tracts of desert in return for arable land settlement settled by Israelis. Asked in the interview whether Washington would be supportive of Israel if they would go ahead and annex, Kushner said, No. What the, the administration is doing is we've agreed with them on forming a technical team to start studying, taking the conceptual map. The coming election is Israel's third in less than a year, following two that were inconclusive. Netanyahu, Israel's longest-serving prime minister, is facing criminal corruption charges and is trying to hold on to power with a right-wing coalition that views much of the Western Bank as the biblical heartland of the Jewish people. 
Israel's attorney general still has to weigh in on whether Netanyahu's present caretaker government has legal authority to carry out annexation moves. So I, I, I know that this is a very touchy subject in terms of saying solutions and there's so much complexity to this in terms of the territories that Palestine states are theirs, that Israel states that are theirs, um, where they're settling, the actions that they're taking. Um, obviously, s- s- sometimes it is peaceful and they're able to talk things. Other times it's not peaceful and, and either Israel strikes or Palestine strikes. And so there's been a lot of conflict in Israel and in and, and Palestine, Palestinian areas in this in this region, especially the West Bank. And it's very difficult to find a solution for these kind of things, especially with how everything is kind of set up right now. I just find it hilarious that this uh, guy, the son-in-law, Jared Kushner, uh, who I, I don't think he has any formal education with regards to the Middle East, or maybe he does. I, I might be giving him a little bit of the short straw here, but I think that he's not as experienced with these matters as Donald Trump thinks that he is. And he's very young. Like the guy, like, I don't know. Jared Kushner is around 40. No, he's 39 years old. Sorry. That is young to be saying that this man is going to find and propose a deal that both Palestine and Israel will like, and there'll be peace in the Middle East. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's a farce. It's a crazy idea to think that this, this, this guy will do that. I think it's hilarious as well because I don't know. Um, it's just, it's, it's insane. There's been a, a lot of kind of American rhetoric here where they think that they can come in and propose something and that it's the greatest thing ever, but I don't think they really truly understand the situation. And he's been working on this for a pretty long time, but I think he still needs more time to work on this and to look over all these effects, get a lot of other councils situated and together work with a lot of different bodies. Um, and I, I haven't seen that work being put. Maybe it has been put. I'm sorry, Jared, if, if you have been putting the work in, but that's just what I see. Um, with that in mind, guys, I didn't really have that much to talk about because uh, tonight is a basketball night. Um, so I was just going to talk about, uh, you know, being disciplined within the new year. And uh, I could see that with with exercising i can see that with finding sports but uh, i really want to kind of encourage you guys to look for a uh, for building community i think i find that we're so entrenched a lot of our days with social media uh, talking to people online different forms of communication that just evolve our phones or our computers and rarely do we get to cherish the moments that we're able to talk to people face to face if that be uh, commuting on the bus or on the subway, um, speaking to teammates at a basketball game, something like that. I think that's really important. So I would really recommend for you guys and kind of challenge you guys to find some more communities and build them. If that be making a board game night and having board games with some of your friends or playing D&D or, you know, being part of a sports club or something like that, kind of foster some new relationships in that regard and challenge yourself into, uh, I don't know, having more direct face-to-face contact. I think it's always important to have those kind of 
face-to-face contacts because I think by having a face-to-face contact, sure, you can build trust, I believe, through the internet, but I think it's a little bit easier when you can see another person's face, see how they react when you speak with them, um, what is going through their their mind. Um, you could even give them like physical comfort by like cues, like putting an arm on their shoulder or something like that if they're having a rough time. I feel like that is very, very vital to fostering good relationships and being able to support friends through tough times in their life, struggles or sufferings. And, um, and I think it's really needed with our generation this time. Um, I, I, not that we're forgetting it. Obviously this is like, I think it's a human, it's a human element that we'll never lose. But I think it's important to continue to foster those things, to really spend time and build your communities, um, have your little groups and, and really support one another. I, I just think about what has been going on with Kobe Bryant and the Lakers um, and just seeing like all these other basketball organizations come to the Bryant's help, uh, to their need. Um, especially, uh, I, I just read something on Instagram for Vanessa Bryant, how she posted how, how, how saddening and disheartened she had been for losing her husband and her, her baby girl. Uh, but just seeing as well that they recognize that some of these families that have lost fathers or, um, loved ones, daughters, sisters, um, that they require healing and, and they might need something more than just, um, just that. Like they might have lost a father who was, who was providing for that family. And so she had actually reached out and asked all those um, who, who felt like they wanted to give something to Kobe for all he given, would they donate to this Mamba organization that he had and that all the proceeds would be going to the families of the victims of this, this crash, um, which is great, which is great because we know, I, I don't want to say, but Kobe, Kobe really left his family with quite some great finances and stuff like that. He was a businessman. He had a, a brand deal with Nike. Um, he had different projects that were going through. He's won Oscars and things like that. So I think he really, he, he had, I don't know if he, I would say prepared, but in a way he had kind of done so much that he really did help provide his family with what they needed. Um, but some of those other families maybe were just getting started and this was a complete surprise to them. So I, I would really recommend if, if you guys feel the need to give something to Kobe because you felt he's impacted, if it be in your basketball community or just being an NBA fan in general, um, I'd really recommend and challenge you to donate to this organization. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but whatever you feel you want uh, to help out these families that are in need. Um, so with that, I guess I'm going to end my podcast with that little thought there. I want to thank you guys so much for listening on this beautiful Thursday. This has been episode 22, January 30th, 2020. I want you guys to not forget to brush your teeth and floss, and I will see you guys on the next one. Goodbye.